0: Okay, so good morning. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, I'm thankful to be back because I missed last time. So um, this morning we have Josh coming to teach. I'm so glad. Usually we start with our discipline discussion. We're going to do that afterwards. So um, when Josh is done teaching, just hang out for a sec, and we're going to do a couple minutes of our discipline discussion. Um, On the front of your notes, there's this piece of paper that says prayer examples. Go ahead and take that and put it in the back because we're not gonna do that right now. We're gonna do that at the end. Um, That's great. And then uh, we'll talk about that when we get there. All right.
1: All right, well, good morning. I I, I think I know all of you here, so I don't have to introduce myself. They brought in the pad for the, pulpit pumping because they knew I was teaching today. My extreme aggression and enthusiasm when I preach. they wanted to tone that down. Somehow, a few years ago, I got asked to teach a conference for the um, women's retreat on prayer. And um, I think that was the Lord wanting to sharpen me and convict me and grow me in regards to prayer. And then now I've taught the Wellspring lesson on prayer, which I think is the Lord telling me that I haven't learned enough and I need to be more convicted about prayer, which um, prayer is obviously a crucial and sweet and precious part of the Christian life, but it's also typically one of the most neglected disciplines Um, for some reason. And and it's not always that case, right? Uh, But in many people's lives, uh, if, if they were to share an assessment of their prayer life, they'd say, well maybe I'm more of a well wisher than an intentional prayer warrior um, i i i I share a lot of positive sentiment with people oh I'll be praying for you or you know with with really sweet intentions but when it comes down to daily disciplined devotion and interaction with the Lord it, it may be lacking and and oftentimes is i I doubt any one of us would say, oh, my prayer life has arrived. It's exactly where I want it to be. And if so, that's great. I commend you on that. Um, but prayer is, is just one of the most precious, sweetest gifts from the Lord. And it also can be intimidating. Um, where do I start? What do I pray for? What should it look like? And what I hope for this morning is that we'll have an opportunity to look at God's word and really see a sweet example of prayer for us talk through some of the aids to a life devoted to prayer and some of the obstacles, and then kind of wrap up with some practical helps for how to grow and progress in regards to our prayer life. Some of you have heard me tell this story. I think I actually stole it from John Anderson in an article that he wrote on prayer where he shared of a story that's told about a small town in the South where for many years this town had been a dry town. So no no alcohol served in this um, town. One day, a businessman in the area decided to build a tavern, and in response to this new tavern, a group of Christians from a local church became concerned and planned an all-night prayer meeting to ask God to intervene. Shortly after the prayer meeting that night, lightning struck the bar and burned the tavern to the ground. In the aftermath of the fire, the owner of the tavern sued the church, claiming that the prayers of the congregation were responsible for his loss. But the church hired a lawyer to argue in court that they were not responsible. And after his initial review of the case, the presiding judge began the trial with an official statement. He said, No matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in prayer and the Christians do not. (laughs) Ouch (laughs) Ouch Prayer is a good revealer Your prayer life is a good revealer Of what you think about God What you think about yourself And what you think about The precious gift Of actually having access To the Lord In prayer, in intimate fellowship Uh, In this season the Lord has Provided some just sweet opportunities for my family, unique things that have come up. Um, One was we got to meet Shane Doan. Does anybody know who Shane Doan is? Okay, he's a hockey player. He was the captain for the Coyotes, for the Arizona Coyotes for a really long time. He's been retired for a couple years. We like hockey. Um, I like hockey, my kids like hockey. And so we went to a game and he came in and visited with us. And And he's a believer. Which is really sweet so we got to talk about the gospel and about caleb and about the lord and um and it was just a wonderful time but he, he walked in the door and i'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest my heart kind of fluttered a little bit <laughs> it was pretty exciting for me as you know this guy that i grew up watching play hockey and loved to see came in and then on top of that i got to talk with him and i got to talk with him about some of the most intimate details of what are what's going on in our lives and it was sweet he embraced me and my kids and took a photo and it was just a fun time and another thing that happened was um, I don't know how the Lord orchestrated all these things exactly but um, Stephen Curtis Chapman reached out to us and invited us to his concert when he was in town and we got to spend some time with him and again just embraced us and um, we had a chance to chat for 15 minutes or so and he prayed with us and we all just put our arms around each other and his daughter was there and Um, I don't know if you guys know Stephen Curtis Chapman uh, several years ago, I think maybe like 12 years ago or something like that, had a daughter the same age, right around the same age as Caleb, who um, one of his children actually um, pulled out of the driveway and his daughter passed away as a result of that. And so there was a lot of experiential similarities that um, was just really sweet. And again, you know, I grew up hearing his music, (laughs) being blessed by that and got to spend time speaking with them. Those were sweet instances. Um, and there's kind of people that we might look up to or see. And when we have an opportunity to interact with them, there's just a sweetness there. Um, and then when they can relate and care for us, there's just an increased sweetness to that. You know, Shane Doan, this hockey player that I really admire and, and um, have enjoyed watching him play, to get to then talk to him about the Lord was just really precious. Well, those are encouraging things, right? Those are nothing compared to the fact that the creator of all things makes himself available to us and is willing to interact with us and care for us and tend to us in regards to the most intimate, special, sweetest, difficult, every category of life things. We have access to God. We would never have this apart from Christ. And the fact that we do have it is an immense privilege that we need to, we need to be disciplined to take advantage of and, and benefit from the kind of fellowship and interaction that we can have with the Lord. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in regards to prayer. He says, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. And therefore, it is at the same time the ultimate test of one's true spiritual condition. There's nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Ouch. (laughs) Ultimately, therefore, one discovers the real condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself in private, when he is alone with God. And have we not all known what it is to find that somehow we have less to say to God when we are alone than when we are in the presence of others? It should not be so, but it often is. So that it is when we have left the realm of activities and outward dealings with other people and are alone with God that we really know where we stand in a spiritual sense. His point here is if you find great joy in talking with people about the greatness of God, but neglect to talk with God about the greatness of God, that's a sign that there's hypocrisy in you that needs to be rooted out and dealt with. If you're eager to talk about spiritual things with everybody but the Lord, priorities are backwards. Oswald Chambers says this, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work, right? Prayer is not a preliminary that we do up front and then we get into what really matters. One of the best things we can do with our resources, with our time, is to pray. And just think about it for a moment. No one has greater control, greater influence, greater provisions, greater resources than the Lord. And so to have a disproportionate sense in our lives where we seek to control and do, but fail to the one, to go to the one who actually does and enacts his perfect will is, is an inconsistency that needs to be dealt with. So what we're going to do this morning is we're, we're going to be looking at the discipline of prayer and how we might cultivate a prayer life, a consistent prayer life to the Lord, or how we might bolster our prayer life or affirm the things that are going well in your prayer life. Whatever category you fit into, hopefully um, scripture will be a blessing to you this morning as we l- look at the truth of God's word and we talk about prayer. And prayer really is a discipline. It's It's oftentimes not something that just flows naturally, right? It it requires effort, intentionality, thoughtfulness, planning. And yes, prayer can pour out of our lives at certain times. and, And that's crucial. That's important. We should have times where we're confronted with an issue and just all that flows out is just, Lord, help. Oh, Lord, give me strength. Oh, Lord, do this. But that shouldn't be the entirety of our prayer life. Prayer is one of the most sweet, precious, intimate, encouraging, emboldening, comforting practices in the Christian life. And at the same time, it can be intimidating. It can be confusing. It can be disheartening. When we have expectations that we're holding God to and he doesn't live up to those, right? I've prayed for this over and over and over. And the Lord's not hearing. Well, The point But the problem is never God's absence or that he's not hearing. It's the heart that we bring into it, what our expectations are that we're placing on God. God is faithful. He never fails to hear. He never fails to listen. He never fails to answer. But he acts in accordance with his will. And so when we feel those things, it's not something that we should neglect the reality that we feel that way, but it's not a problem with the Lord. It's something in us that needs to be addressed and that the Lord is doing in us. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Sometimes we don't perceive any change. We don't seem to uh, see an effectiveness of our prayer. Or sometimes we just might feel overwhelmed. What do I pray for in this instance? This is a confusing situation, and I'm not even sure what the right thing to pray for is right now. And so we might neglect prayer. Well, prayer is a crucial discipline. It's a tremendous benefit, and it should be a core part of the Christian life, part of our daily discipline, to fellowship with the Lord in prayer. And as I've said, it's oftentimes a neglected discipline. John Piper says this, one of the great uses—I think this is funny, and it sounds like he's kind of going on a rant against these things—but I, th- I think it's convicting. He says one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove in the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. <laughs> Whether you go on Instagram or Facebook or read news, news articles or something like that, I think one of the things the Lord will use that for is, is to reveal that if there's a lack of consistency in prayer, it wasn't because you, you just lacked the time, which oftentimes is the default, right? The default excuse just really busy right now, kids were late, school's going on here, this is going on here, and yet we find um, nooks and crannies in our life and in our schedule for other things that are far less important, far less beneficial. Now, before you feel completely beat up about prayer, (laughs) okay, there's hope for us in this. You're not alone if you struggle with prayer and you're going, oh man, wait, my prayer life reveals my true spiritual state, and I haven't prayed for fill in the blank, or I haven't had a consistent pattern of prayer for fill in the blank, or my pattern of prayer is pathetic, it's hey, there's hope. there's hope. And that's what this is for, is to help equip us to move forward and to embrace these precious resources and benefits that the Lord has for believer in a robust prayer life. And if you're going, man, my prayer life's right where I want it to be. Great, then today should be really affirming for you and encouraging and fortifying for you in that discipline. So, as we're talking about prayer, I want to start by giving a quote that helps define what prayer is, right? If we're going to cultivate this discipline, let's be on the same page about what prayer is. One of my favorite theologians, John Bunyan, (laughs) contrary to one of my other theologians, Paul Bunyan, if there is, I don't know, was it? A, I was preaching. If you weren't there, I was preaching and I quoted John Bunyan and I said, Paul Bunyan. Anyway. Yeah. All right. John Bunyan, getting it right this time, says this I, I love how he describes prayer. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God. If you're trying to take notes on this, you can email me. I can give you this quote. It's a, It's a little long, but. Prayer. Oh, it's in your book. I gave it to you because I knew it was long. Oh, there we go. Good. Okay. Hey, even a uh, blind squirrel finds a nut. I did good. Okay. (laughs) Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to his word for the good of the church with submission and faith to the will of God. Okay, there's a lot there, but how rich is that to think about prayer? It's a sincere, sensible, affectionate, pouring out of the heart or soul to God. And I think those, those words that he uses there, sincere, sensible, affectionate, pouring out of the heart or soul to God. Sometimes we want to compete those things with one another. Hey, I just need to be real and pour out my heart to God. And we use that as an excuse to not be sensible. But there is a way to, with sensibility, with sincerity, with affection, with genuineness, pour out our heart and our soul to God. And we can do this through Christ. He has made it possible for us to come before the throne of God in prayer and fellowship, in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit. And as we pray, what should we be about? we we'll such things as God has promised, or according um, according to his word. Wait one second here. I didn't turn off the Wi-Fi, and I just got a phone call, and it was a spam risk oh, on my iPad. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, I'm lost in my notes. There we go. So... Um, such things as God has promised, or according to his word. And so, our prayers are to be saturated with truth, they're to be driven by truth. When we come to God, we don't just ask about anything that our flesh desires, right? If you ask anything in my name's sake or according to my will for the believer, we can have confidence that God will answer and God will hear. But prayer is not permission to come and just lay out all of our fleshly desires before the Lord. In fact, his faithfulness will be demonstrated through a lack of giving us what we think we want that will actually damage us. So true prayer as we come to God should be um, praying for things that God has promised or things that are according to his word. And there should be a desire for the good of his church in our prayers. That doesn't mean we don't, pray for th- we don't pray for things personally, but there's a thought that there are things beyond myself that I'm considering, and it's the good of God's people. And we even see that in Jesus' instruction to the disciples, if you just follow the pronouns, they're plural. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And so there's an emphasis on the church, and always with submission and faith to the will of God. Jesus is a great example of this, right? He presented his request to the Lord. Sincere, emphatic, take this cup for me if there's any other way. And yet what? Not my will, but your will be done. There's a humility and a submission in faith to God's wisdom. So prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God. It's, it's simply communication with God that's humble and dependent submissive even fearful appropriately so as John spelled out on Sunday and as he'll be working through with us the appropriate fear of the Lord now what's the purpose of prayer turn to John 14:13 this is helpful to see Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The ultimate purpose of prayer is the glory of God. That's the, the church kid answer to pretty much every question. What's the purpose of fill in the blank? Oh, the glory of God. What's the purpose of our struggles? Oh, to give glory to God. What's the purpose of prayer? To give glory to God. Well, it's true. God loves to answer prayers so that he's glorified through the answering of those prayers and so that he's glorified through a life that's yielded to him, dependent upon him. He takes pleasure in that, and he loves to answer prayers, whether it's through active um, accommodation to our request or active withholding. He is answering those prayers, and he's doing it to glorify himself, which should be our greatest desire. Now, as we consider prayer and its purpose to glorify God and what it is, this communion, this interaction, this fellowship with God— that's done so in a yielded, submissive way before him, what I'd like to do is spend some time just looking at a model of prayer in Colossians. So go ahead and turn to Colossians 1. I just love to watch Paul's prayer for the Colossians unfold here. What we're gonna do is we're just gonna make some observations about things that he thanks God for and then his actual requests. So in Colossians 1, we see Paul's prayer regarding the believers in Colossae, and he's going to thank God for the things that he sees in them. And we're going to just work through our outline here, make a number of observations. It's important to understand everything that is worthy of praise, everything that we thank God for that's truly pleasing to him, it originates out of God. So Paul here, in thanking God for these attributes of the Colossians, these things that are true about them or that he's observing in them, it's appropriate to thank God because if there are commendable things in us, the ultimate source of that is from whom? From God. Right? There's no good in us apart from God. So anything that we see that's commendable or worthy of praise, that's from the Lord. And so he's the one, he's the object of our gratitude. That doesn't mean we can't encourage one another. We should encourage one another. But our greatest encouragement to one another is not, hey, look at how you did this and that as if that originated from them. But, oh, look at how the Lord is working in you. What a What a joy, what an encouragement that truly is to be encouraged in the ways that God is working in us. So anything that good that comes from us is there because God has put it there. That should have both an emboldening and encouraging effect and a humbling effect, right? If I encourage you by saying, wow, you did this and you did this and you're a really strong person and that's just really great, that encourage might actually have unintended consequences of puffing somebody up. If your encouragement is, look at what you did. Yeah, I did do that. Look at me. Hey, I got the, you know. And obviously none of us would, hopefully none of us would say that overtly, but we know what goes on in our hearts. And and there's a potential. But if you say, hey, look at what the Lord is doing in you. That actually encourages us with fruit of what God is doing in our life and intentionally directs us to join with you in gratitude and praise to God for what he's doing. Look, look at what God's doing. Oh, God's using me in that way. Isn't he kind? Isn't he gracious? So we're going to see Paul's Thanksgiving here, but this is thanks to God for the fruit that God is producing in the Colossians. Now let's read verses three through eight. We'll start there. Colossians one, starting in verse three, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth just as you learned it from Paphras, our beloved fellow bondservant or slave, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So some observations from this passage of Paul's thanksgiving. First, number one, he thanks God for their faith in Jesus. Their faith in Jesus. And we see that in the first part of verse four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And this is really the most exciting report that he could hear. They have faith in Christ Jesus. Ever since the moment he heard of their faith in Christ Jesus, he gives thanks to God. Paul had never met these believers, most of them. He had never met, personally. He hasn't visited them, but the report has come of their trusting confidence in Christ. And this is where the gospel really starts for somebody. They, they entrust themselves to Jesus. They have faith in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Holy One, of God, the anointed one who would be the one to take away sins and be the acceptable sacrifice and overcome death to right the wrongs of our sin and provide a way of reconciliation back to God. The believers in Colossae had faith, and this faith was in Jesus. Their faith was appropriated to the right being, right? It wasn't that they were just religious people or faithful people to something. No, they had faith in Christ. And this was a tremendous blessing. And what we find in this, if you're praying for a believer, if you're praying for another believer, there is always something to thank God for. This is a tremendously helpful practice especially when working through conflict within the body of Christ, or when there's somebody and you go, man, they're they're just, they bug me. They annoy me. They're this. I have expectations. They're not meeting my expectation. We kind of bump heads. You know, we don't get along. Listen, there is a way to cultivate gratitude for every other believer because you can praise God that they have faith in Christ. They're a sister in Christ or a brother in Christ. And so you can give praise to God for that, and you can thank God for that. And that does something very, very humbling, very sanctifying to your heart. When you force your disposition through discipline to go from discontentment towards somebody else to gratitude for God's work in them, And if you're thinking rightly about the gospel, if you're thinking rightly about what you needed in your own sinfulness to be made right from God, an acknowledgment of God's work in somebody else and that that same sacrifice of Christ's blood that has washed you cleansed from your sin has also forgiven them of their sin. And these obstacles to fellowship and to care and to love for them, God was willing to overcome those obstacles and even worse ones of sin through Jesus To be reconciled and wants a relationship and has a relationship with them, it puts things in perspective for us as well. If you're praying for a believer, there's always something for which to give thanks. And we should give thanks for this. We should praise God for this reality. Number two, we see Paul express thankfulness for the Colossians' love for the saints. Saints, that's your next blank in your outline. and We see that in the second half of verse 4. Look again at what he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. And this is the next manifestation in the gospel in their lives. There are results of genuine faith. They have genuine faith in Christ, but that genuine faith in Christ is being expressed through love for the saints. The gospel has taken effect in their heart by the gift of faith from God. And one of the first things that evidences this true faith in God is love for believers. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. One of the greatest markers of our fellowship with God of our love for Christ, of our faith in Christ, is a love for one another. And so Paul thanks the Lord for this love that these dear brethren have for all the saints. And it's an indiscriminate love. There's intentional language here. They love all the saints. And one of the greatest ways you can guard yourself from sin is by cultivating this kind of indiscriminate love for others. Just think about it. Selfishness, greed, covetousness, anger, bitterness, discontentment, all of these things can be set aside by an active pursuit of love, an expression of love for others above yourself. And as I just mentioned, notice how Paul thanks God for their love for all the saints. There weren't some believers that they loved, and some that they didn't because of fill in the blank. Now, what Paul isn't saying is, thank God for the intimacy of your friendship and how it's completely similar in every case, (laughs) right? That's That's not the meaning of indiscriminate love, that every relationship looks exactly the same. There are going to be people that you're closer with, people that you're not as close with, people that you interact with more, interact with less, that's okay. That's not a sign of a lack of love. It could be if you're making those decisions intentionally to push people away because they're not meeting your expectations or desires of what they would be for you. Okay, that's, that's something that would need to be addressed in our hearts. But if just the nature of my life and the flow of my life, I'm pouring out my life in love and our circles intersect here, we serve together and we interact and do these types of things, that's not necessarily something that has to be corrected. That's not what Paul's getting at here, the love for all the saints. But there is a willingness to die to oneself for the benefit of others indiscriminately. And so if it's this person in the body of Christ who needs need, who has a need and I can help fill it, I'm going to serve that person the same way that I would seek to serve this person who needs help. I don't have to fill every need, right? The body comes alongside and fills in those gaps. But I'm not thinking, oh, I kind of like this person, so I'm going to help them. But this person always just rubs me the wrong way, so I'm going to distance myself. That's discriminate love. And Paul here acknowledges that these saints have, have a love for all the saints. There's indiscriminate love. And that's worthy of thanking God for. That's a commendable virtue, And then, number three, he thanks God for the hope in heaven. That's your third blank. Hope in heaven. Believers have a special hope. Look at verse five. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, in which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel a hope that is worthy of thanking God for. There's a hope laid up for the believer or reserved or in store in heaven. A Christian can endure hardship, endure persecution, persevere through trials, press on in tragedy, all because Christians have a hope in something outside of ourselves and something outside of our immediate circumstances. What a gift from the Lord. What a gift from the Lord, an untouchable gift. Every other source of comfort outside of God is completely vulnerable and completely vain. If your hope is in something outside of the Lord for life's hardships and troubles and difficulties, it is just completely susceptible. And yet the hope that God offers in forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to him, fellowship with him, his purposes for his own glory, and ultimately eternity with him, those things can't be touched, no matter what life circumstances bring. There's just a tremendous sweetness of that for the believer, and for the believer, we possess this hope, and that hope transforms how we live on this earth, and that is absolutely something for which to give thanks to God. Whatever trials and struggles and hardships we face in this life, they're what Paul calls momentary light affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory, as Paul sec- says in Second Corinthians 4. We're going to spend a significant amount of time looking at that passage in a few weeks um, on my last lesson from uh, The Good Provisions of, of a Good God the the generous divine provisions of a of a good god moses is a great example of this turn over to hebrews and and hold your place in colossians because we're going to be coming back there but hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid uh, of the king's edict. And then verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward, and that reward is is the reward of heaven, what was beyond this life. He was in, he was willing to endure hardship, and give up all that the world could offer, which he would have had access to, as a. As a son of Pharaoh's daughter, whatever fleshly desires, he had essentially unlimited resources to fulfill those. And he gave them up, the passing pleasures, to suffer reproach with God's people because he was looking to the reward. What a great example. So there's a hope in heaven laid up for believers that we have the benefit of, and that's worthy of thanking God for. Number four, growth in fruit, growth in fruit. Your next blank is fruit on number four, growth in fruit. And we see this in verse six, back to Colossians. I told you to keep your finger in it and then I let go. Colossians, verse six, which has come to you just as, and that's the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly what? Bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you, Also, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Essentially, from the day you became a believer, you heard the gospel, understood it, it has been bearing fruit in you. There is growth and fruit for the believer, and that's something we should thank God for. Here we see that the gospel produces fruit both in personal transformation of individuals and in corporate growth of the church. More disciples growing, more disciples. That's the commission for the church that we would go and make disciples. The gospel not only saves individuals, but it changes their life, and it produces fruit of godliness and conformity into Christ's likeness. And Paul here is looking for evidences of the gospel playing itself out in the life of the Colossians, and he can see it. He can see that fruit. Their life looks different because of Christ, and he thanks God for that. Number five, Authentication from leaders. Leaders is your blank there. This is really interesting. I think it's really profound. The observation that Paul makes here and how he's thanking God for this. Look at verses 7 and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the spirit. Epaphras was the primary means of bringing the truth to Colossae. They learned it from him, the gospel. They learned this truth from Epaphras. And Epaphras spent significant time with them, and he informed Paul and Paul's companions of their love in the Spirit. There was a a testimony from Epaphras, an affirming statement from Epaphras of the genuineness of the Colossians' love in the Spirit. And we know salvation is only by God's grace, and it is ultimately only a work of God. Yet God uses human means as channels of that grace. And Epaphras brought the good news of the gospel to the Colossians. They learned it from him. He was their mentor in the faith. And as such, he authenticated their faith. He testified to their faith. He reported that it was authentic. That it was true, it was real, he could see it as one who was with him and he assessed it as true or genuine. And this is definitely something the gospel produces and is something to give thanks of God for. When those around you, the mature, can look at your life and say, God is at work, that is an encouragement. That's a kindness of the Lord, to have that kind of affirmation, encouragement in the Lord. All of us at various times struggle with, I I think I'm loving the Lord. I think I'm being faithful. And then somebody mature comes alongside and says, hey, press on. You're doing well. There's growth here. And you're like, oh, thank you. I needed to hear that. faint hearted, discouraged. And that encouragement just is a blessing from the Lord to spur me on. Yet in order to have this authentication from leaders, you actually have to have leaders in your life. Right? There's not a category for rogue Christians. God has a design for his people, and it's that everyone is under authority. We're all under authority. Right? I'm an elder in this church. Whose authority am I under? The other elders. Absolutely. When you're an elder, you don't get in a different category where you're no longer accountable. I'm an elder. I'm accountable to God. We're all accountable to God. But we're also accountable to human authority as well. And as an elder, I'm still a sheep. And I'm accountable to my elders. They watch over me. They care for me. They admonish me. They encourage me. We need to be under authority. We need to have people at a proximity to our lives where they can assess either in an affirming manner, the work of the Spirit in us, or in an admonishment, in an exhortation, errors in our life, deficiencies in our life, areas we need to grow. And we need to be willing to hear that. We need to have the humility of disposition to be approachable, to say, I am am definitely not, 100% of the time, you are not the best assessor of yourself. Why? Our hearts are deceitful. We're going to be entangled by sin. That's why we need encouragement outside of ourselves. We need help. That doesn't mean we discard our own assessment. We need to be faithful to bring our hearts to God's word with admonishment and encouragement. We hear that. We bring that to God's word and see the consistency, hopefully, of that encouragement and admonishment with God's instruction. But if we push leadership, If we push admonition away because we have concluded independently that we're vindicated, that's a very dangerous place to be as a believer. We need leadership in our life to be able to identify what's going on and where we're at spiritually. This is a gift from the Lord. And it may be uncomfortable. I get that. It is uncomfortable. It's difficult to lay our lives bare and to care more about our own personal sanctification than the hurt that comes when you're told that you're not just walking faithfully or obediently in a certain area. Years ago, a few a couple years ago now, we were um reading a book, Frog on a Log. You guys know this book? It's super cute. It's it's a frog on a log, and he's everything's rhyming, and we were reading it as a family, and um Caleb, Caleb just thought it was the funniest thing, but it has a line, it says so it's, it's talking about all these different animals and what they do. And one of the lines says, parrots sit on carrots. So it's talking about each animal and then it comes up with something that they're sitting on that rhymes. Parrots sit on carrots, lions sit on irons. And it says, and then the frog says, that doesn't sound very comfortable to this cat who's telling him. And the cat says, it's not about being comfortable. It's about doing the right thing. And we just lost it. Our whole family started cracking up. About okay, this lion sitting on an iron. First of all, they really had to stretch to find something that lion. Lion sitting on an iron. Um, Got to get my South roots coming out when I say that one. But so, but it's not. But I love that phrase, and we just laughed about. It's not about being comfortable. It's about doing the right thing. Well, that's that's true in life. How often do we default to what's comfortable at the expense of what's right? So being close to leadership. Being vulnerable, receiving correction, even when you may not agree in the moment, or it's hurtful, it's not comfortable. But what's the right thing? Well, we need to be teachable. We need to be more concerned with God's glory and our holiness than our comfort. And that's hard. And that's especially hard when that authority has been abused in the past in a hurtful way. But God doesn't call us to do this because human authority never fails. Mm -hmm. We're called to submit to human authority that we know will fail. Why? Because no human authority is put in that authority outside of God's divine will. And so behind every human authority is a divine God who is orchestrating that. So even when it hurts, even when it's abused, even when it's difficult, that doesn't get us off the hook from doing the right thing just because it's not comfortable. Words of wisdom from Frog on a Log. (laughs) God just won't fail us in this design. He will use it for his intended, intended purposes in our lives. Small groups, if you're able, are a huge opportunity to be near to others. If small groups aren't options, be intentional, find other ways to be connected with others in the church. And you all are doing that right now. So praise God for that. This isn't an admonition. Um, this, is, this is a excel still more in the very things that you're doing. In life, We'll have ebbs and flows of availability and accessibility of what that might look like, but we should be striving to be near to others. Both for others' benefits, we are used to encourage others and affirm what God is doing in their life, and others are used to encourage and spur us on in what God is doing in our life. When we see something like that, like what we see in our passage in Colossians, it's important to consider, could somebody pray This prayer, giving thanks to God for these things in regards to us, in regards to you. Do You think about these types of things in your prayers, right? This isn't the model, here's the standard, pray for this, pray for this, pray for this, pray for this. This is an example. This is what's on Paul's heart. This is what is coming out. But there's a tremendous benefit to looking at Paul's example and saying, here's the things that were on his mind that he thanked God for and praised God for. Am I cultivating a disposition where these types of things are on my mind when I think about prayer? If our prayer is limited to life's conveniences or inconveniences, we're missing out on a wealth of benefit when our prayers are actually saturated with spiritual content consistent with Scripture. Okay, now we're going to transition from the things that Paul gives thanks for to Paul's petitions. And we're going to speed up here a little bit. First, Paul prays and his petition is for their thinking. Look at verse nine. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays for their thinking that they would be filled. This is like wind filling a sail on a sailboat that propels it forward that they would be filled with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, all thinking categories, right? Things that go on in our our minds where we have knowledge and then we have wisdom, the ability to apply that understanding appropriately to the situation. And then he says an understanding, again, a comprehensive acknowledgement of the reality of the situation that propels us forward. We need to know God's truth and how to apply God's word. This is a fight what you feel with what you know type of mentality, where our emotions aren't dictating what's right and true and what we think about things, but God's word is, and a a proper understanding of God's word and how it applies to various circumstances. And then he prays for their decisions. Look at verse 10. So so that he wants them to have this knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's praying for their decisions, that they would please him in all respects, that they would bear every good work, bear fruit in every good work. That they would make the right decision and the best decision in every way. Have you prayed like that before in the morning? Lord, you know what's before me this day. Give me wisdom and understanding, even this morning as I open your word, to know your truth and to be able to please you in every way today. Every decision that I make, every choice that I'm faced with, give me spiritual insight and wisdom so that I conduct myself in a way that's pleasing to you. Oftentimes we pray for more tangible things. I pray that something wouldn't get canceled. I pray that this meeting goes well. I pray that this interaction is productive. I pray that um, this, you know, that my children obey or, or something. And those things aren't bad to pray for. But how sweet to pray, hey, Lord, I don't know what my day holds, but you do. Give me strength and wisdom to be able to navigate whatever comes along my way in a way that honors you and is pleasing to you. Sometimes what we find is that It's easier to pray about the end outcomes than our personal holiness in the process of those events. So we need to pray that we would honor God in the process of what he has for us and the decisions that we make and the steps that we take as we walk forward. And then number three, steadfastness. He petitions God for steadfastness. We see this in verse 11. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Steadfastness is to remain under a difficult circumstance. And patience here is an emotional quietness in the face of unfavorable circumstances. Really what this is, is a, a yielding and trusting of God and not a freaking out <laughs> to life's various trials and difficulties this is where when hardship comes you're not tipped over the edge you're not brought to the boiling point but you remain you're steadfast you remain under it with patience emotional quietness in the in the face of your difficulties And you don't need steadfastness or endurance or patience, particularly when things are easy. There's an assumption here that life isn't easy. Life is hard and trials are going to come. And yet this steadfastness that he prays that they would be strengthened with, with all power, is to remain under a difficult circumstance we need to pray for this. We need help from this. We need divine assistance for this. This kind of strength isn't something we can conjure up on our own accord. And so we petition the Lord for these things, and he loves to give this to his children. And then lastly, number four, he prays for their worldview. That's how I best could summarize this point, is his prayer for their worldview verses 12, 13, and 14. He says, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And really what he does is he spells out the reality that they're no longer citizens of this world, but they've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved Son. There is a transferring that has taken place currently for the believer into Christ's kingdom, which will be fully realized when Christ returns and establishes his throne on this earth. We're citizens of that kingdom. What a wonderful gift from the Lord. Okay, we're going to transition here. Roman numeral three. What are some hindrances to a life of prayer? There we just saw Paul's example. If you're searching for things to thank God for and, and to occupy your prayer life, to cultivate thanksgiving to the Lord... You have some wonderful resources in Paul's example. And if you're wondering what types of things should I start with in regards to my petitions, to my requests of God, we see a great example there from Paul as well. But what are some hindrances to a life of prayer? Well, letter A, lack of belief. Lack of belief. If I fail to pray, if if I'm inconsistent in my prayer life, it reveals a lack of belief prayer is an act of faith. And what are some of the things that we must believe? We must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We see that in Hebrews 11, 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder for those who seek him. Well, what what other things should we believe? Roman numeral number 2, We must believe that God is there and is interested in our prayer life. Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. We also must understand that his answer may not be what or when or how we expect it, but it is always best. Listen to Psalm 1830. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. If God is not answering our prayers the way that we desire, it is not because of a deficiency in God's character. It's an expression of the purity of his character that he is not bending his divine will to our human will simply because we demand it. But no, he is, as a God who loves to answer the prayer, prayers of his children, answering it in a way that is for his glory and our good. What's another hindrance to a life... Dependent of prayer. Well, it's a lack of persistence. It's your next blank there on letter B. Persistence. A lack of persistence. We're used to immediate responses in day-to-day life, right? Everything is pretty immediate in many instances. Not every instance. But many times, if we want something, we go get it, right? If we post something, we pull up our Facebook and, oh, how many likes did I get? Ooh, 10 seconds have gone by. Have I gotten more? Mm-hmm. Anybody comment? Ding! Oh, somebody commented. Okay, i can... Right? Everything's so quick. We can DVR a show. We can Netflix it, pull it up and watch it immediately. We are used to immediate gratification. And yet not receiving immediate responses from the Lord actually frequently is a grace from the Lord to keep us humbly dependent upon him. He will always make accessible to us what we need to please him in our circumstances. Oftentimes, he lets our circumstances linger to bring us into more conformity to his son. James 1 is clear on that. We experience trials, and they're in fact a gift from the Lord that we consider joy. Why? Because God uses it to mature us, to bring us to our intended end, to perfect us to bring us to holiness. It's painful. It is painful. The road to godliness is not easy, but it's worth it. And again, that hope laid up for us in heaven, the suffering of this world is momentary in light in comparison to what awaits us. And not only that, but even in the difficulties of this life, there is an untouchable joy for God's child that is way more satisfying than all of the ease and comfort that this life can offer apart from God. God draws us to himself through our trials, through our struggles, in regular communion, through our need of him over which we pray continually. At times, God does not give us what we ask for because we'll spend it on selfish things, and it's a protection for us. I tell you what, one of the, one of the sweetest graces from the Lord in Caleb's passing has been, and even the manner in which Caleb passed, um, that I was the divine means of bringing about his end on this earth. One of the sweetest provisions of the Lord is that I have never in my life been more constantly aware of my need for Christ. The reality is, is we all constantly need Christ. We need God every moment, his sustaining grace. And yet, in this season, man, I've never felt that more. That's a gift. That is a good place to be. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the one to whom the Lord looks is the one who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at His word. And so if there's a circumstance that will bring me to that, Lord, I trust you. I trust. Next, a lack of preparedness. Let her see. What are some obstacles to a consistent life of prayer? Lack of belief, lack of persistence, lack of preparedness. You know the, the common saying, um, failure to plan is a plan to fail, right? Um, words of worldly wisdom, but proverbially, um, it's true. If we don't make a plan, if we're not intentional, it's highly unlikely that we're going to be disciplined and consistent in our prayer life. Uh, so we need to prepare. We need to have an intentional nature a plan for our prayer life what does that look like for you this can take tons of different forms right there's not a here's the way to properly prepare a b c do this just this way and now you have the path to a successful prayer life you got to find what works for you consistent with scripture okay there are things from scripture for which to pray how to think about prayer but the manifestation of that can can vary tremendously um, I choose to pray through a passage of scripture every day. And then I have lists of things that I pray for for myself within that. So I pray through a passage of scripture. I also have certain things that I pray in regards to elder qualifications and character um, virtues. And then I have people that I pray for, and I pray for certain people every day. I have other categories and a list of ministries that I'm involved in and interactions and special requests that I catalog. And then I rotate those through those prayers and and I, I have to. There's no way I could remember um, the various things that I, that I enjoy praying for if, if I didn't do that. So preparedness. Make a plan. Make it a priority. Here's what I'm going to aim to do it. Here's what I'm going to pray for. And start with something that's attainable and then go from there. Don't say, man, my, prayer's lacking. my prayer life is lacking. I really need to get my life in order. I'm going to pray three hours a day tomorrow. And I expect myself to—I mean, if, that, if, if that's attainable— do it <laughs> that'd be wonderful, um, and then tell me how you 're doing that because that would be helpful for me, but if it 's five minutes a day where prayer is completely absent, start somewhere and then grow it okay, but start just just make a plan aids to a life of dependence upon prayer, well, there should be a readiness we need to prepare our hearts to be ready to pray, pray at all times in the spirit ephesians six eighteen There's a great readiness implied. And it oftentimes seems that we're more ready to talk about prayer than to actually pray for others. It's a very helpful practice if somebody says, hey, could you be praying for me in regards to this? Oh, yeah, totally. That's great. But it's really easy to then forget. Um, If you're ready, pray for them in that moment. Would you pray for me in this? Yeah, can I do that now? Would that be okay? Oh, yeah. And then pray. Or pull out your phone, make a list, write it down so that you remember. Be ready. Be intentional. Letter B, devotion and alertness in prayer. Are you guys with me on the outline? Anybody lost? do Okay, thank you. Devotion and alertness in prayer. Colossians 4.2 says this, devote yourselves to prayer. There's a devotion. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. That's really informative because sometimes we want to squeeze the entirety of our prayer life into the mundane moments of our life. Oh, my prayer life is so robust. I pray in the shower and I pray when I'm in the car and I pray when I'm doing this. That's great. Don't stop doing those things. But the command here is a devotion with alertness. There's a limitation to your devotion and your alertness if you're always multitasking. Now, I know that's especially true for me as a man, and for you women are typically much better multitaskers, but there is a benefit to being intentional in your prayer life, to be fully devoted to it, consistent in it, and alert in it. And your alertness will be compromised to some degree if you are always multitasking. So this isn't an admonishment to not pray when you're doing other things. This is, don't let the entirety of your prayer be when you're always doing other things. Does that make sense? I don't want to be misunderstood on that. As if you feel guilty for praying when you're doing something else. You should not feel guilty for praying. That's part of the being prepared, being alert in it, being ready all the time. That's good. But don't let that be the only time you pray. Pray. Set aside intentional time. And then submissiveness and surrender, letter C submissiveness and surrender there should be a humility in our prayer life a yielding to god in our prayer life we don't come to the lord seeking to assert our will over his yeah we don't come (laughs) come on tanya you're driving it home a little long here i'm just joking (laughs) I would shrink into the corner if I were you. Don't, don't worry about it at all.
0: We'll pray for her. We'll pray for her, yeah. Well played.
1: That, would be <laughs> that was my cue that I need to wrap it up. That's... <laughs> Submissiveness and surrender. We yield to the Lord. We trust the Lord. This is a huge aid for our prayer life. We come with the disposition of humility and surrender to him. God wants our pride to be crushed. Let prayer be a means of humbling us under his mighty hand. Right? That's what we're called to do. Humble yourself before the Lord. And then spiritual concern. What should drive our prayers is a concern for that which glorifies him, not for ease of life, gratification of flesh, but rather to be pleasing to the Lord. We need to cultivate a concern for what really matters, which is spiritual growth and maturity, that we would glorify the Lord in all things. And so we shouldn't rush to always pray for relief from trials. This hard circumstance is in my life. Would you please pray that God would remove it? That's not a sinful prayer in and of itself, but we should condition ourselves to first and foremost, Lord, help me be faithful. Would you pray that I would be faithful in the midst of this circumstance and learn what I need to learn? And if it would please the Lord for him to remove this trial or hardship. Oftentimes we pray the opposite. We rush to pray for relief from life's hardships. And we miss what God wants to do through those trials to conform us into Christ's likeness. So what does that look like? How do we, how do we think through that then? Is it wrong to pray for relief from a trial? If you get a negative doctor's report, is it, is it sinful to pray for healing? If somebody's struggling with chronic pain, is it, is it sinful to pray for relief? Um, when we were unsure of Caleb's state, would it have been sinful? Was it sinful for us to pray that God would preserve his life? No, we should pray for those things. That's the sweetness of the Lord is that he wants us to come and pour out our hearts and pour out our requests. But don't let that be where your idols are. God, I'm going to make a judgment about your character on whether or not you remove this hardship or how you answer this prayer. No, Lord, first and foremost, help me to honor you. I have no idea what's happening right now. My life seems to be unraveling before me. Help me to be godly. Help me to endure. Help me to persevere. And Lord, this affliction, would you please remove it? Paul prayed that. Jesus prayed that. But what was his heart disposition before the Lord? Not my will, but your will be done. There was a yielding and surrender to him. We must trust the Lord. We must yield to him. This is how we can endure hardship and in fact mourn worshipfully when we experience the sorrows of this world and we endure them, and yet we are yielded to the Lord knowing that his character does not change. And so we trust and we endure, and we pursue what is right and holy before him. Well, those are some aids to a God-honoring prayer life. Prayer and the disciplines as we ponder these things. Jesus often slipped away to pray. How much more important is it for us to make intentional time to pray? What does prayer look like in our homes? Is it a routine prayer at meals? Uh, are we cultivating a disposition of humble dependence upon the Lord, of spiritual concerns as we pray with our families? Are we ready to pray with one another? Have we been intentional in private and in our homes to cultivate a competency with prayer to be able to pray for one another? Our prayer life in private is not isolated to this body. How you cultivate a discipline of prayer privately will greatly impact how you can serve one another. And we just don't need to feel this pressure that we have to be polished. Stumble through it. Don't wait to start caring for one another in prayer. Pray. Have faith. Express your dependence upon the Lord. Present your requests to the Lord. And there's tremendous benefit for the believer as we do that. Lastly, in your notes, there's an appendix. A resource for praying scripture. This is something that was one of the sweetest disciplines that I developed uh, a bit ago, several, maybe 12 years ago now, 13 years ago. I started incorporating um, prayer through a passage. How to do that? There's an example from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. We need to be careful with how we preach through Scripture. There's still a responsibility to understand what the text says, right? If we read um, Jeremiah 29, 11, is that right? I know the plans I have for you. Lord, thank you that you have plans for me to prosper this day. Wait a minute, that's a promise to Israel, okay? And there's things about—that's a passage we should pray through. We can absolutely pray through that, but we don't take every truth from Scripture and apply it to ourselves in our prayer. There has to be some discipline there, some thoughtfulness, and so what would that look like? Well, ask yourself these questions. What is the promise or truth in the text? From 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it's that God is faithful, it's that God will not allow believers to be tempted beyond what they're able, and that God will provide a way of escape from temptation. For whom is the promise or truth applicable? Well, it's written to the Corinthians as a truth for believers. Jeremiah 29 is written to Israel as a truth for Israel, a specific promise to Israel. That doesn't take away from God's character. As one who loves to provide for his people and has a plan for his people but to apply his declaration for israel to us is is um not appropriate uh, so how might this truth or this promise inform my prayers well i can reflect on the reality of god's faithfulness i can pray that god would not allow me to be tempted beyond that which i can endure and i can pray that god would provide. And that I would take the way of escape when tempted. So what would an example of praying through this passage look like? God, I'm being tempted. I know you're faithful. Or God, I know I will be tempted today. I know you are faithful. Would you please allow your faithfulness to abound in my life right now? I know you do not allow believers to be tempted beyond what they are able. And I plead with you now to help me withstand this temptation. I know there's a way of escape from this temptation. I pray that you would help me to take it, help me to endure this temptation that I might be pleasing to you and not sin. Okay, now I had time to sit, to script this out. This is a polished version. It doesn't have to be this. Just start somewhere. And work through that. Some other passages to consider for praying through are right there. And um, God is faithful. What a gift that we can approach the throne of grace. As I said before, as as exciting as speaking to someone you admire is the lord of the universe asks instructs us to come before him in intimate fellowship and prayer what a gift this is a privilege the commandments of the lord are not burdensome this is a kindness of the lord to be able to incorporate the discipline of prayer in our lives let's pray lord we thank you for the truth from your word we thank you for the accessibility that we have before you what a What a compassionate and loving and generous God that you would make a way for us to have this kind of fellowship and intimacy with you. With wherever we're at in regards to our discipline of prayer, I pray that you would help us to abound more in goodness and what is right and pleasing to you. And I pray that we would benefit appropriately so from the tremendous blessing that a robust prayer life is for the believer. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you, Josh. I have nothing to add to that, but I did want to explain this extra sheet that I told you to put in the back um, and talk through our disciplines really quick. Um, So, um, just like Josh explained, prayer isn't just one method, but this paper is, (laughs) um, I reached out to a number of ladies at GBC some of them are older ladies and some of them are my age, so I'm not going to call them older ladies. Um, but these are some ways that they practice their prayer life, how they have grown, how they have disciplined themselves. And I think it's, it's important to understand that these ladies are all in different seasons of life. Some of them have little kids, some of them have no kids at home. And so it's gonna look different for everyone, wherever you're at and for your season of life. Um, what i do right now for my own practice of prayer wouldn't have worked for me when i had little kids i just it wouldn't have worked um so so just understand that but feel free to read this through and i hope it's an encouragement to you um some of them said they were willing to share their names and then some of them weren't so i left all names off um and i changed all names so you don't know who it is but um um, let that be an encouragement to you just to some examples that ladies do um i i'm hoping that it's not a discouragement like my life doesn't look like that if if my prayer life doesn't look like Diane's prayer life that's okay it's 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 fine that's how it's you know it's supposed to be that way it's not just one method it's not just one way of doing it but i did want to share some resources some of these resources were brought up in in what these ladies shared and some of them are ones that i've felt found helpful in my own life um so obviously if we don't know what to pray especially if we're not at home or sitting at a table or don't have our Bible in front of us, you can pray through verses you've memorized. This is one of the reasons we hide God's word in our hearts. Um, and, and we can pray through those verses. You can also pray through whatever you've read that morning um, in the word. That's a helpful way to do it. Um, this book, it's kind of new, came out in 2020. I'm going to be an in Ann Ingstead really quick and just show you guys a bunch of books. Um, this one's called The Psalms, A Primer for Prayer or A Primer for Prayer. Um, depending on who you are, Um, this was written by uh, Dr. Barrick. He is, he's retiring, but a professor at Master's Seminary. So the way that this works, on the left side of the page, it has a psalm written out. Yeah, left side of the page, it has a psalm written out, and on the right side, it's how to pray through that psalm. Like, it just spells it right out for you. So if you're struggling with, I don't know how to do this, um, this is a really helpful resource. Um, I try to do this. I don't do it every day because I don't have time, but it's a really, really helpful resource to work through. Um, another one, and this is mentioned in on this sheet, is the Valley of Vision. I think most of you are probably familiar with this. Everything I'm mentioning, minus one, which I'll explain, is available on our bookshelves. Um, so the Valley of Vision is was written by, again, as Anne would say, a lot of old, wise, dead guys. Um, so they're Puritans. Most of them are Puritans, not all of them. Um, and it's prayers that they have written and I just really love reading through these they their language and the way that they word things is really just um it's really meaningful and it's really neat to read through and a lot of times I read through it and then I have to slow down and try to understand what they were saying I think that's good for our hearts to do as well so that's another good resource um that's called the valley of vision um this one gospel primer we've talked about this before I think this is especially helpful when I don't want to pray. You know, I don't feel like it. Read a little passage. You know, we've talked about they're just short little sections. Get your heart, focus on the Lord. Um, This one you all have, Wellspring Songbook. Um, You should have gotten it at the beginning of the year. If you didn't get it, let me know. I can uh, talk to Allie and get you one. You can read these songs, these worship songs as a prayer. You don't have to sing them. I am just about physically unable to sing. You can read these out loud, and it can be your prayer to the Lord. Um, This might look familiar, our Wellspring Prayer Book. Um, In here, there's a week, there's more than a week, I think it's two or three weeks, of examples of how to pray through Scripture, basically what Josh was just talking about, um, and uh, sample prayer guides. If you're wanting to grow in your prayer life, use that. Again, if you don't have one, let me know. We can get you one. Um, This one is not sold out here, but it's something that I have found to be helpful in my life. And like what Josh talks about, what he does, he was talking about all his prayers. It's not going to work for everybody. What I do is not going to work for everybody. Um, And it's taken me a lot of years to find this. But it's a blank prayer book that you fill out on your own with different sections. And I choose a different section every day. And it keeps me focused. So those times when someone's like, or in small group, you know, this is happening, I say, I'm going to pray for you. I can write it in here (laughs) and then I will remember. And, um, I think that's a really uh, helpful way to have some sort of system for yourself to, um, to keep you disciplined in the practice of prayer. But, um, like Josh said, it doesn't, it's not the method that matters. That doesn't matter, but it's, it's us before the Lord with a humble heart and we're always seeking his will. And I wanted to share just one quick quote (laughs) that I loved, um, as I was talking to various ladies about this, Sarah Demarest, um, she said, a believer who doesn't pray is like a wife who doesn't talk to her husband or a child who doesn't talk to her parents. And there's something terribly wrong with such a relationship. And, and that's been helpful for me. I want to speak to the Lord. I, I want to talk to him and I want to um, hear from him in his word. And um, this is just one way that we can work on that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And I just found it really yeah. helpful. Especially like, you know, know, 'cause there are those times obviously that you need to set aside for prayer, but there's also like, times right. when you're in the car. Like, right. And you just are showing you like what do I pray for? Yeah, and, and you, can you can listen through, through that. Right. Beautiful, especially because those prayers are so poetic. Yeah. It just like resonates in my mind later when I've heard it. That's you know, good. It yeah. All right. So yes, so any of these um, that I shared are available on the bookshelves and we don't have a whole lot of time. So go ahead and go to your groups. Thanks guys.